Well, last week, my 15-year-old son, Brandon, said to me, what you doing for lunch Friday, Dad? And my thought was, well, what are you doing for lunch? I mean, what are, you know, are you not supposed to be in school? And, and, and uh, oh, we get out at noon. Oh, it tells you where his calendar is on my radar. Okay, well, I guess we're having lunch together. We're having lunch. Let's have lunch together. How about that? Great, where do you want to go? Sonic. I want to go to Sonic. I want a double Sonic cheeseburger. I want fries, and I want it smothered with chili and processed cheese. That's what I want. (laughs) And I want a sugar-infested drink. That's what I want. He did not say it that way, but, but that's what he ended up getting, of course. His mom was out of town. She just got back, as you notice. So anyway, back to salad. (laughs) Yeah. For the record, I had chicken. They don't serve chicken. Well, I went to to Little Porgy's first, and then then we went where he wanted to go. That's how we do it. At $3.80 a gallon, you might as well, right? (laughs) Where was I? We were at Sonic. This ties in, trust me. <laughs> so we go to Sonic, and I'm sitting there, and we're in the bay. And, you know, they've got a drive through You can get it and go, or you can pull into one of the bays, and so. But uh, so we pulled into one of the bays, because he didn't have to be at school. And I'm sitting there thinking, it, was, it really was a pretty clever invention, this drive through stuff. You know, it's really, that's really neat. I wonder... Who invented that anyway, the drive-thru, right? Who invented that? And then, well, I just kind of started playing on the computer. And do you know that the very first drive-thru is this right here? You know where this is? This is Springfield, Illinois. Land of Lincoln. Very first drive-thru. It's called a made-right uh, sandwich, and, and, and there's an issue with the name and everything, and that's another sermon illustration. But... In 1927, that was there. And so, you know, after the war, technology kind of took over. And then some folks in California decided to add a speaker system. So instead of just pulling up to the window and yelling your order, you go to the speaker system, and then you, then you pull up a little later. And uh, this is this hamburger joint called the In-N-Out. And that is... Uh, that is uh, uh, Esther and Harry, and they started the In-N-Out burger chain, and so, and the speaker system, and, and they even had a philosophy with their drive-through system, and, and the In-N-Out philosophy is this, fresh food customers can order on a speaker system and then drive through to a window to collect. That's it, right? That's how it works, the drive-through philosophy. You knew that already, didn't you? Well, of course, it just didn't stop with hamburgers, did it? Huh? I mean, it's just taken over. And so now you get into your car, and you, there's a lot of different ways this drive through system is worked out. Right? You, can, uh, you can go to the bank. There's a drive through right? You can uh, do dry cleaning, get your laundry there. And you can do uh, uh, prescriptions. You can get your drugs, drive through you, So you can get your meals. You can get your money. You can get your laundry. You can get your drugs. You can... Um, 
uh, I'm told, not here in, I, I don't think there's a place in Champaign-Urbana, but you can drive through. In, in Ohio, there was a place called Bax drive through and you could pull in, and, and it was almost like, uh, it was almost like an in and out. It was like a garage with two doors, and you go in, and then you could get all sorts of beverages, you know, and they could load up your trunk and everything, and then pull on. Bax drive through It's in Harrison, Ohio. They don't have them here. But anyway, that's just a part of this system, right? drive through And what a wonderful convenience that is. You just drive up, pull up, order, pay, and you're on your way. I'll see you next week if I want to. That's just kind of how it works. See? It's just wonderful. It's convenient. Why should I get out of my car? I've got leather seats. I've got that lumbar support. I can recline. Uh, the, uh, uh, the tilt steering wheel. My pedals can even get adjusted. I have a CD and I have air conditioning. It's, why should I get out of my car at all for anything? I could just drive around, going through drive through places, getting it and picking it up and ordering it, going on. And if I want to come back, I can come back. That's just kind of how it works. It's a wonderful thing living in America. It's a part of our culture, part of our paradigm, part of our paradigm. I exist as a citizen consumer, driving up, pulling up, ordering up, paying up, and driving through. Wow. It's nice. It's nice. The thought has occurred to me, though, that there are some activities, some exercises that just really kind of don't fit the drive-through system. They don't. And... And I want to propose to you that one of those is prayer. Prayer. And yet it's so hard, isn't it? Because it's almost like our culture has conditioned us to certain expectations. Because we live in this drive-through culture, drive-through philosophy. This, this philosophy that says fresh whatever you can order on a speaker system and then drive through to get it. And if we think of that in terms of prayer, I'm afraid we're going to be disappointed. I'm afraid that we are going to be frustrated because you might want to drive up and and you order up and then you get to the window and maybe nobody's there. Or you drive up and, you know, you're there at a hamburger joint and, oh, we we don't have any more hamburgers today. You don't have any more hamburgers today. You don't have any more hamburgers today or your dry cleaning is going to be done tomorrow instead of today. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah, but the ticket said it was supposed to be done today. I know, well, you can pick it up tomorrow because it's not ready. And we just kind of go on tilt, don't we? Because we are citizen consumers. And we like this driving up and ordering up and paying up and driving through and going on. I'll see you next week maybe if I want to. And when we have that mentality, when we bring that worldview, that mindset, that attitude into prayer, I'm afraid we miss the, the meaning of prayer, the power of prayer, and most importantly, we miss the person to whom we pray. So what I want to say is this this morning. It's the, it's the lesson. If, if you don't leave with this, we, I've not done my job. Here's the lesson. It's this. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to prayer, how we see our world decides what we say to God. How we see our world decides what we say to God. You see your world as a citizen consumer in a drive through culture, then that's going to determine the content of your prayers. And you're going to be frustrated, and I think you're going to be disappointed. 
And you might ask, well, how should we see? How does God want us to see our world? Now, that question is found in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, Ephesians, it's on page 827 of your church Bibles. The short course on Ephesians is this. The book of Ephesians is about being seated in Christ, being seated in Christ, walking in Christ, walking in Christ, and then standing in Christ. That's the short course on Ephesians. We are seated in Christ. God has seated us in Christ. We who were dead in our sins and in our trespasses, in which we used to walk when we followed the ways of the world, But because of his great mercy and love for us, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, God made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead. Why? Because it's by grace you've been saved. By grace you've been saved through faith. And then, and then that's why Ephesians 2, 6 says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. We are seated in Christ, in the heavenly realms, we are heirs. God, that's how God sees his people. And it's a, it's a new people, a new society, a new race, a multi-ethnic, multinational that has, been, that has been converged in his son to be a holy people. We are seated in Christ. That's what Ephesians 1 through 3 is about. And then when you get to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, now, Because of this reality, I want you to walk in Christ. You walk in Christ. I want you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Walk worthy of the calling. And that affects our relationships. And chapters 4 and 5 and part of chapter 6 are about those relationships. With one another, with the world, in marriage, in family, parenting, at work. Employers, employees, you walk in Christ. You're seated in Christ, you walk in Christ, and then you stand in Christ. Because you see, this new society, this new nation, this new people, we have an enemy, we have a common enemy, and that enemy wants to undo the plans of God and the people of God. And he has an organization, and he is your enemy, and so you need to stand in Christ Take your stand, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Ephesians 6, 14. Stand firm. Stand your ground. After you've done everything, stand. And then Paul talks about what we've talked about here the past several weeks. The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and gospel-fitted feet and shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then Paul says in verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. When it comes to prayer, how we see our world determines, decides 
what we say to God. And if you, if you decide, if you see your world as a citizen consumer in a drive through culture, then a lot of your prayers are going to be assist me, help me, give me this, that, one, and then I'm going to drive through it. If I need to see you next week, that's fine or whatever. Paul says, no, no, no. You're not citizen consumers. You are citizen soldiers in a great cosmic struggle against an enemy whom the Apostle John says has been sinning against, uh, has been sinning since the beginning. But Jesus came on a search and rescue mission and he rescued the people of God, but he also came on a search and destroy mission. And the Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's work. And the cross decapitated Satan. But like a decapitated servant, that body still flails about, twitching and trembling. He's going to try to take out as many of God's people as he can. And so you stand. And that means that prayer is not an intercom and a drive-through system. Paul sees the world. God wants us to see our world in a context of spiritual warfare. And that makes prayer not an intercom system, but, and I like how John Piper put it, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a wartime walkie. Prayer is not a bell to call the servants to satisfy some desire we happen to feel. It is rather a battlefield transmitter for staying in touch with the general. Jesus, our commander, has called the troops and assigned us a mission, and that mission is to make disciples. And then he's issued each individual soldier, he's issued each of us a a battlefield transmitter, a personal transmitter coded with the frequency to HQ. And he has said, comrades, our Father has given us a mission and he wants to see it accomplished. And to that end, he's authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. And if you will stay true to the mission and seek his victory first, then I assure you that he is never further than this transmitter He will always be as close as this transmitter. He will offer tactical advice and he will even supply air support. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. And so if you're struggling with prayer, I want to ask you, how do you see the world? Do you see it through a drive-through mentality or are you looking at it in terms of spiritual warfare? Piper concludes, many of our problems with prayer and much of our weakness in prayer come from the fact that we have taken a wartime walkie-talkie and we've tried to turn it into a civilian hamburger intercom. The way you see the world determines what you say to God. And what Paul is telling us here is that as soldiers in the army of the Lord, I mean, there's no such thing as like a once a month National Guard thing. You know, a weekend warrior on a weekend a month and then put in a couple of weeks during the summer. No, no, that that doesn't exist in the army of the Lord. You're there 24-7. You're there 24-7. And you put on the armor and you keep it on forever. You never, ever take it off. You live in it. You eat in it, you sleep in it, you have it all the time. And as that hymn said, as that hymn, uh, as that hymn said, each piece put on with prayer 
Prayer means that we are totally dependent upon our Father in heaven. There's never a time when we're not totally dependent upon the strength and wisdom and power of God. We're always dependent upon him. The thing that I'm afraid of when we look at a series like this and we listed the six pieces and everything, the thing that I really am afraid of is that we walk away from a series like this and we think to ourselves, okay, well, this is, this is just a list of things that God wants me to do. And so I got to put on the belt of truth. I got to be truthful. And then I'm going to wear the breastplate. I got to be righteous. And then I've got to, it's just another thing for me to do to try to muscle my way so that if I, so that the, the better I muscle my way through these particular pieces of armor, the more effort I give, then that's how God slaps down Satan. And that could not be further from what Paul is trying to say here. Because you see, when we put on the armor of God, when we are fully armed, you know who you look like when you put on the armor of God? When you put on the armor of God, you will not look like a Roman soldier. You won't. You will not, you will not look like that. And I'll tell you something else. You will not look like Iron Man either. Okay? Got that exoskeleton on and, you know, be kind of cool, but no, you know. No, you're not going to look like that. You know who you're going to look like? You're going to look, you're going to look like Jesus. That's who you're going to look like. You put on the armor, you don't look like the Romans. You look like Jesus carrying a cross. And that's how Satan is defeated. By Christ-centered, gospel-living, cross-bearing believers. That's how Satan is defeated. And, and see, Paul's already said this. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, when he says, be imitators of God. What does it mean to put on the armor of God? It means to be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice of God. And And Jesus did that, and I mean prayer was just a part of his life like breathing is for ours. And so the battle cry, prayer is the believer's battle cry, but the cry isn't to the enemy. The cry is to our Father in heaven. As we approach the front line, and we are fully armed, and then when we meet the enemy face to face, the Christian soldier, the Christian legion does the most amazing thing. They drop to their knees in prayer. Why? Because how you see this world determines what you say to God. How do you see this world? How do you see this world? Is it drive-through? That's not going to work. That's not going to do. We've got to see this world as spiritual warfare, imitating Jesus. How you see this world determines what you say to God. So what do we say to God? Well, there we go in verse 18. Verse 18, Paul uses, uh, and the NIV does not show this as much. I wish it had, but it doesn't. The New American Standard does, and the English Standard Version does. Paul uses the word all four times. Four times in verse 18 when he says, pray all the time with all perseverance in the Spirit, And pray all kinds of prayers and pray for all the saints. All the time, all perseverance, all kinds of prayers for all the saints. Let's talk about that for a minute. 
Pray all the time with all perseverance. All the time with all perseverance. Why? Because your enemy doesn't let up. That's why. Because the threat is constant. That's why. Satan will stop tempting us the day we die or when Jesus comes again. That's the deal. And so pray all the time with all perseverance. Because he never stops. And, and you know, he, he's good at the small arms tactic stuff. And little ways that he trips us up or gets us to be selfish. or Men, that's why, you know, we had that argument. Coming to church this morning in the car. Because, you know, we just, the voice inflection was wrong and, and we heard it wrong. And then we just went back and forth and we were just, you know, bickering on the way in the car. We get out of the car and everything's fine, you know. And you know the solution for that. You know the solution for that. Drive separately. And uh, <laughs> works for me. No. Well, I get here at 6.30. That's my excuse. Or we can realize that there's a small arm skirmish going on. We can realize that. And we pray all the time. And some of the things that Satan's plotting for us isn't small arm stuff. I mean, it's a, it's, a big, it's a big blowout. And it's being plotted and schemed and looking for our moment of vulnerability. And, and then you know, our marriage then gets threatened or our work gets threatened or a job or our relationships or a church gets threatened. It's real. So we pray all the time. We pray all the time with all perseverance. I, I like what Tolkien once said. Tolkien once said, it does not do to leave a dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. Mm-hmm. So pray all the time with all perseverance. You say, that gets exhausting. I mean, if Satan's going to keep tempting me until I die or Jesus comes, that just seems overwhelming. It does, and that's why Paul says to pray in the Spirit, the same Spirit The same spirit that Paul says that we have access to the Father through one spirit. In Ephesians 2, 18, that same spirit guides us in our prayers, helps us. And here's here's how it works. Here's how he works. You go through a season and you're feeling weak or fatigued and and you you go to God and you say, "I I don't know what I can do. I mean, you, you can't even say that. You just go to God with a, ah, oh, ah. Oh. Or maybe you're just angry. And you're, you, oh, it's a groan. It's a, maybe a groan of anger, but deep down it's a groan of weakness. And you're feeling weak. And all you can say in your prayer time, your, well, how was your prayer time? My prayer time was, oh, oh. And you know what happens in the Spirit? The Holy Spirit, the Bible, I'm going to show you a verse that shows this. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes our groan. He takes our, oh, and he scoops it up. And then he takes it before the Father and he, like, reinterprets it. Yeah. The words we can't express, he expresses. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us and groan, with groans that words cannot express. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes 
for the saints in accordance with God's will. Oh, our oh becomes his oh, and it's delivered to the Father. And the Father answers. And do you know what he says? He says, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Whatever your prayer request is to God right now, whatever it is, and I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, God's answer is Romans 8, 28. He's gonna work for the good. Gonna work for the good for those who love him. Does that mean there's not gonna be any pain? No, you may get crucified, Jesus did. You bear a cross. You're gonna, you, if you carry the cross, it's there for you to hang on when you get to the end of the trip. But God's going to use that for the good, you see. And the Holy Spirit just takes those, oh, and takes it to the Father. As you pray all the time with all perseverance in the Spirit. That's why you can pray all kinds of prayers. That's why you can pray all kinds of prayers. All kinds of prayers. Prayers for strength, prayers for protection, prayers for today's daily bread, prayers for our family, prayers for our children, prayers for ourselves. C.S. Lewis once said, lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. And someone might be thinking, wait a minute, Randy, I thought you were, I thought you were just talking about how it's not good for us to be selfish in prayer uh, and that we shouldn't pray for ourselves. But no, 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 that's not what I, if I said that, here's, here's the deal. When you view life with a wartime mentality, and you pray for yourself, whatever that prayer is, because you see life in terms of spiritual warfare, and you pray for yourself, it's going to be different. It's, I guarantee you, it's going to be different than if you pray for yourself with the drive through mentality. Does that make sense? You see that? So, life, so this, we're at war with Satan. So yes, yeah, with that view in mind, lay before the Father. All kinds of prayers, all kinds of prayers. And, and then Paul says, pray for all the saints. All the saints. With this in mind, be alert and keep praying for all the saints. And why? Because whatever, you're, whatever, whatever struggle you're facing, brother, sister, you're not by yourself. And that's the temptation that we would think that I'm all by myself and no one has ever gone through this before. Uh, uh, this is a unique temptation to me. No, it's not. Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that no temptation has seized you except what is common. And so that's why you need to understand you're not by yourself. This is not a personal private war. This is a war that Satan has against the people of God. And that's why you need to do what Dan and Jackie did. Where you depend upon one another and you risk the vulnerability or the embarrassment and you say, here's our situation. Pray for me. Let me pray for you. And as God's people pray for one another, there's strength. There's strength. Pray for all the saints. I want you to pray for our summer missionaries. I I want you to pray for those who are going to the DR, to Ukraine. I, I want you to pray. I want you to pray for your elders. I want you to pray for your deacon team, your staff. And yes, please, pray for me as well. Please, pray for your pastor. Say, why, is there something wrong? No, no, really, we're going through a healthy season in our marriage now, in our family. And, and, 
you know, if God wills, <laughs> I said, if God wills, I, I want to love my wife and raise my boys and, and grow old with you till I die or Jesus comes. That's, that's, if God were to say, Randy, what do you want? That's what I want. Love Sarah, love Ben, love Brandon, rear our families, be spiritually healthy in Christ, love you all, and just do that till I die or Jesus comes. That's my, that's my plan, God. What's your plan? Let me know if it's something else. So pray for me. Pray for me. And you know, Paul says, pray for me. <laughs> pray for me, he says in verse 19, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul prays for courage and Paul prays for clarity. And both are needed for the gospel to go out. He prays for courage. Some, some preachers are really clear, but they're scared. They're scared. And others, I mean, they're passionate, but you can't understand what they're saying. They're passionate mumblers. Paul prays for courage, and Paul prays for clarity. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And why? Ah, it goes back to this big idea, huh? goes back, you know, how we see our world this determines what we say to God. Because Paul says, I am an ambassador in chains. That's why. Oh, that's a rich. Say, Paul, no, you're not an ambassador. You're a prisoner under house arrest attached to a Roman guard. No, Paul says, I'm an ambassador in chains. And I represent the kingdom of Christ. And I'm going to get the opportunity to share the gospel with Caesar's court. And if that means being a POW for a couple of years, so be it, as long as the gospel is not locked up. That's why Paul doesn't pray for his release. That's why Paul's not filled with self-pity in his situation. He says, it doesn't matter if I'm locked up. I, I just want the gospel to go out because I'm an ambassador in chains. And it's a great play on words there. Because in the first century, ambassadors from other countries would actually wear chains. And they were you know, weighty types of expensive chains that showed the dignity of the country where they were sent. Paul's chains are made of iron. And, and, and when you think about it, it's really tacky for the host country to imprison ambassadors from the sending country. That's really tacky. And that's just not good. That's not good relations, right? Where's Paul? He's in prison. He's an ambassador in chains. And so he's going, I just want the gospel to go out. So pray for me. If the apostle Paul needed prayer, don't we? Don't we? Mm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. You could substitute the word spouse with that. You could substitute the word parent. You could substitute whatever word. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble. His face, previously intolerable to me, is transformed in prayer into the face of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. This is a happy discovery for the Christian who begins to pray for others. Wow. So we pray. 
we pray, not because we see life through a drive through system, but because there's war going on. We pray because we have this wartime walkie-talkie and we're constantly tuned to the general for tactical directions and we ask for air support. We pray all the time, on all occasions, with all perseverance, we pray all kinds of prayers in the Spirit where he scoops up our prayers to the Father and then we pray for all the saints. How you see your world determines what you say to God. Okay? Well, I'm done preaching. And I think we should pray. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand. We have elders and deacons and leaders, and I'd like you to take your place, staff, around the perimeter. And if you need, uh, if you need prayer, if you need prayer, and uh, and if you want prayer, I mean, don't you know this already? I'll just remind you this. If you just want prayer, you know, folks who come up to other us here to pray, I mean, things can be going great. Well, let us pray for you about that, okay? We want to pray those kinds of prayers. Whatever, whatever you need prayer about, we want to invite you. We want to invite you to come, and I'm going to stay up here. And you know what would be great, and I saw this the last time we did this, would be for some of you to just kind of stay right where you are. Maybe the person next to you needs some prayer over something. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You just stay, and we just have all kinds of prayer for all situations going before our Heavenly Father, who hears every prayer. At the same time, he's that smart.